It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many brutes are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Something to your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, the fire, the gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury beat it down your neck. Reporter, to jump, the crowd, with that low plane, fine, then up for overflow, five minutes in corners, but it'll be the devil, the devil, world, and you don't your heart, tell me that the river in the river was the right, you patriotic, patriotic, plan, right, 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 feel it, like, it's the end of the world as we know it, it's the end of the world as we know it, it's the end of the world as we know it, Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom! Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a wild and woolly wonderland in a worrisome world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of DoomandBloom.net, where you'll find over 750 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. I'm a man with a plan, and that is to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. And this is the lovely Nurse Amy. And what are you? I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And the hostess with the most is so explosive, you can say she's the bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Today we are the watchers on the wall. We watch it all for you to find the silver lining in those storm clouds you see peeking over the horizon. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with an aggressive aardvark? Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. Absolutely. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only, and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. Are you entertained yet? <laughs> yes, you entertain me all the time. Oh. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but what are you going to do in a disaster when the rescue helicopter is nowhere to be seen, where the ambulance is heading in the other direction? Can you be medically self-reliant if you had to be? I'll bet you can, and you know what? We are here to help. Hey, do you have some knowledge in your noggin? Well, we learn as much as you, or from you, as you do from us. So connect with us. It's easy. Here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. Contact us anytime by drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine Dr. Bones, that's Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages, Doom and Bloom and Joe Alton, MD. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones Nurse Amy, and our monthly video cast, which is the first and third Wednesday of every month at AroundTheCabin.com. Wow. 
That is a mouthful, uh -huh. buddy. I can't believe you did that with one breath. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Well, you know what? That's It is a lot. It's not all, though. Our website has just about everything you need to succeed, even if everything else fails. Don't check out. Uh, don't forget. to don't Yes, def out. definitely <laughs> check out. Don't forget to check out our articles in leading magazines like American Survival Guide, Survival Quarterly, Survivor's Edge, Backwoods Home, Prepare, Survivalist, whew, and a whole bunch of of links from a great a bunch of great preparedness websites throughout the internet now in the news a newly developed vaccine uh oh here we are talking about vaccines that researchers hope may prove effective in destroying cancer tumors in cases where all other treatments have failed is currently being studied in the united kingdom now the first two participants have already been injected with a medication at guy's hospital in London, they think they're going to have at least 30 patients expected to take part over the next two years. And interestingly, they work similar to how this, this treatment works similar to how vaccines protect us from infection. The treatment attempts to recruit the body's own immune system to attack and destroy, in this case, cancer cells. Now, normally, the various components of the immune system, your white blood cells, uh, also uh, known as T cells, or some of them uh, are known as T cells, protect against cancer by destroying tumor cells, although some tumors are indeed able to evade these natural defenses. Now, when they are able to evade it, cancer moves on from a very minor stage that your body actually destroys to an advanced stage that suppresses the immune system and doesn't let it fight it. Now, there are numerous factors thought to be responsible for this effect. The tumor cell's ability to damage immune cells, decreasing the white blood cell production when the cancer spreads to the bone marrow, those are just some of, of the possible mechanisms by which the cancer cells work. Now, vaccines typically work by injecting a patient with the small amounts of antigens. These are substances that are capable of stimulating your body's immune response, which causes the body to produce antibodies, that specialize in identifying and destroying, say, a virus. Now, the ability to generate these antibodies sometimes would last for years or even the lifetime of the individual. Now, the new vaccine being tested is comprised of small fragments of an enzyme that's part of cancer cells. Now, this enzyme enables these cancer cells to divide continuously and out of control. Scientists are hopeful that the vaccine is going to stimulate patients' immune systems to the point that they produce antibodies that target this enzyme, preventing cancer cell reproduction. Now, to give the process a kickstart, they, they're combining it with low doses of chemotherapy in order to kill some of the tumor cells to begin with and maybe disinhibit or get the kickstart the immune system. The investigators behind the trial believe this vaccine can prove effective for all types of solid tumors. Now, that's a heck of a statement since each cancer tumor is different, affects different organs, is actually looks different under the microscope. They're testing its safety and effectiveness on patients whose cancer has been diagnosed as terminal. Regardless of what your personal feelings about vaccines are, you just can't begrudge a terminally ill cancer patient trying any option that might help. Let's hope this vaccine turns out to be a game changer for them and give some hope where none now exists. In other experimental news, hey, could kudzu help you kick the craving for alcohol. Everyone knows someone 
or is someone who could probably drink a little less. In survival settings, you definitely don't want to have to depend on someone to keep your group safe who's had a few too many. So it makes sense you want to help those survivalists who are slurring their speech and too buzzed to bug out. Now, could nasty old kudzu help you get that warm, fuzzy feeling while drinking less? It turns out that kudzu's an ancient Chinese remedy for heart disease that may also help us cut our alcohol consumption without even noticing it. Kudzu is a type of vine that's native to Southeast Asia. It belongs to a group of plants in the genus Pueria. It's native to Southeast Asia, East Asia, and the Pacific Islands. It's, it was used widely in the U.S. in the 30s and 40s as a way of controlling soil erosion. It's now considered a badly invasive species. and has been the subject of a government program to control its spread since the 1990s. Now, it's a plant with a long history of herbal medicine use. You might be surprised to hear that. Traditional uses go back 2,000 years. They were for things like coughs, colds, and flus, also for blood pressure, chest pain, things like that. But it's also been used since at least 600 AD for helping prevent alcohol abuse. Now, you might be skeptical about herbal supplements. You might have some basis for that. Even if the original plant has beneficial properties, that doesn't mean the supplements based on these plants are going to be affected. There's so little regulation on the market that you often don't know what you're buying. Despite this, many of our more effective medicines are derived from plants. Nonetheless, there have been a few intriguing studies suggested, suggesting that after taking kudzu supplements, people drink less almost without noticing. Now, kudzu doesn't seem to alter the urge to drink, but rather how quickly you feel like you've had enough. A recent study carried out in a lab of healthy male and female volunteers, I guess I would volunteer for that one, found out that Taking a particular extract of the kudzu plant caused people to drink more slowly and taking more time between sips. So that is sort of interesting. The, the puerin, which is uh, the active ingredient here, is an isoflavone. It's a type of antioxidant, and it probably works by increasing blood flow to the brain. If the kudzu extract helps alcohol get to your brain's reward center faster, then it's thought that you'll feel the effects sooner and you might not drink as much. Now, before you rush out to buy kudzu extract, you have to know these tests involve taking 500 milligrams of the active ingredient. If you take less, who knows if you'll get any effect. Still, you know what? Might just be another tool in the medical woodshed. Hey, I just want to tell people where we're going to be in the next couple of months. We're going to be at the Heritage Life Skills. It's their fifth one. You can find more information at carolinareadiness.com. We're going to teach you a couple classes. Suturing and Bleeding Control, a brand new class. On May 8th, the following weekend, we'll be in Richmond, Virginia at the NPS Expo. Also teaching a suture class. That'll be on Sunday morning. On the weekend of... Friday, May 13th and 14th. On Friday, we'll be teaching a suture class at the Self-Reliance Expo in Irving, Texas. And then June 4th and 5th, we'll be in Albany, Oregon at the Mother Earth News event. Wow. See you guys somewhere. We are going to be all over the place. Yes. All right. Well, travel, travel, travel. Tra that's right. We're going to see the country, and we hope to see you if you're in the areas that we're going to be at. Hey, you know what? We always enjoy having people on our show telling us about their stuff and today we have our good friend Jim Cobb that's joining us 
Jim Cobb is an author. He's been a prepper since long before that term ever came into use. He's been studying, practicing, and now teaching survival and preparedness for, gosh, about 30 years. Jim Cobb has written several books on several books on the subject. I think he's written like a dozen, including Prepper's Home Defense, Prepper's Long-Term Survival Guide, Prepper's Financial Guide, and he also regularly contributes to magazines such as American Survival Guide, Survivor's Edge, and Off-Grid. He's an awesome guy. He's full of information, and he is the Energizer Bunny when it comes to writing about preparedness. Please sit back and enjoy Nurse Amy's interview with our good friend, Jim Cobb. Well, hey, Jim. Are you there? I am here. How are you, darling? Oh, I am amazing. I'm so happy. I'm getting a kitchen. Life is getting back to normal. And we are starting our new radio show, which you are going to be our first guest. I am honored. Honored <laughs> that you asked me to do that. That I think it's really cool. I hope this thing takes off for you, and I will do my best <laughs> to make sure that that happens. All right. That sounds great. Well, you know, I think good shows are all about education, and I know you are jam-packed with knowledge in that head. In fact, I'm not sure how you keep it all in there. Does it fall out at night? Well, you know, my wife has commented before, as have other people, that when you look at photographs of my wife and I together, I do have a freakishly large head. <laughs> it, seriously, that's not a joke. If you look at pictures... You know, my wife looks beautiful as always, and then I'm sitting next to her, and I look like the head that ate Manhattan. All right, so we are here today to talk about one of your newest books out of a long line of them, and this one is called The Prepper's Communication Handbook. So I want you to tell me just, you know, briefly what it's all about, and then we'll start getting into the nitty-gritty. Well, Prepper's Communication Handbook, uh, I try to tell people right up front that it may not be what you think it is. And I, I try to make that very clear to people because the worst thing in the world for me would be for somebody to buy this or any one of my books expecting it to be one thing and then finding out it's something else entirely and they get disappointed. Mm -hmm. Prepper's Communication Handbook is basically, it, it, there's two parts to it. The first part is a, a survey of the different communication tools that are available for us preppers and survivalists. We talk about radios, we talk about walkie-talkie technology, talk about online sources, ham radio, shortwave, all that fun stuff. And then the second half of the book, we talk about communication skills, because I believe that, you know, Skills trump stuff every time, no matter what we're talking about. And if you lack the skills, all the technology in the world is not going to help you. But what this book is not is it is not going to take you by the hand and show you step by step exactly how to set up and operate a ham rig, for example. That's not the purpose of this book. There are numerous books out there. Uh, Ham Radio for Dummies is actually quite good. That will teach wait, wait, you. I'm, I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> now, the funny thing is, we actually do have our ham radio licenses. Okay. But unless you become really active in that world, it's a skill that kind of you don't keep it. 
No, so, it deteriorates over time. Yeah, it does. You know, we have our call signs. And in fact, right in front of me here, I have uh, a radio made by Tara. It's a TR590. And it is really awesome, except I haven't read the manual yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's absolutely no good to me whatsoever, folks. We all need to learn to use the things that we have purchased. Definitely. You know, and I find that to be the case not just with communication technology, but across the board. You know, preppers and survivals, we love to acquire new things, Mm -hmm. whether it's a knife or a radio or a pack or a kit or whatever. The problem that I find over and over and over is people will buy these things and then they, they set them aside, they put them into storage for, you know, someday something ever happens, I know I've got that radio. Well, you need to get it out of the box today, mm-hmm. and you need to learn how it works. You need to learn all the ins and outs. You need to know what it's capable of and what it's not capable of. And in the event, you know, when we talk about things that need to be assembled, such as, say, a tent or a, a small stove, you want to take the stuff out of the box and put it all together, if nothing else, to make sure you have all the parts you're supposed to have you know the worst thing in the world could be disaster hits and you finally get to use that new stove and you take it out of the box and that's when you find out the guy working the assembly line was having a bad day and he forgot to put the screws in the box (laughs) exactly oh no and and that has happened i mean how many times you open up a gadget or a gadget and you say hmm, where is this piece or where is that piece? So this does happen, folks. Don't trust just because the box is sealed that everything is in there. Jim is giving you sound advice here. Get it open, read the manual, and use it. Play around with it. I mean, that's why we get this stuff. You know, we we get it to use. We don't get it just to put on a shelf and look at. I mean, some people might do that, but most of us don't. And to be frank, most of us can't afford to go out and buy duplicates or triplicates of things so that we have one that we can play with and one to put in storage and one to do this and one to do that. You only get the one thing. So learn how it works. Learn it inside and out. Know how to maintain it, how to take care of it, how to clean it, how to operate it, know everything about it. You have the luxury right now of being able to do it in a relatively calm situation. You know, it's a Friday evening, you got nothing else going on, let's break out that little handheld radio and see how it works. Rather than waiting until, you know, you're two days into a collapse and the world is falling apart around you and that's when you decide, oh, hey, let's try this. Absolutely. And there, the world of ham radio is actually really amazing. There are groups that talk to each other on a regular basis that are many, many countries away from each other. It's not like you're talking to your neighbor down the street. You can learn things from people from other cultures, other areas, and it's, it's really quite interesting. And they have groups, groups that get together on, on a regular basis, and you sort of feel like you're part of a community. Oh, definitely. You know, one thing that I've learned early on about ham operators is – you are not going to find a nicer or more helpful group of people on the planet. 
They will do anything and everything to help you if you're willing to put in the work to get licensed mm-hmm. and, you know, venture off into the world of ham. <laughs> they will do everything they can to help you. What One of the things that I think really surprises people who know nothing about ham radio, you have to be licensed. We know that. Yes. But... What surprises people is you can buy manuals that will give you the, all of the questions and all of the answers that are going to be on your test. <laughs> you know what? I didn't find that book. I, I wish I'd have known. <laughs> it's not easy to study for, folks. There's no, a it's, lot of technical information in that book. It is. There's a lot of tech involved. It's a little bit easier than it was years ago because there's no uh, Morse code requirement, so you don't have to learn Morse code anymore. And these manuals that are out there, um, you can find them online. You can find them in bookstores. They literally have every question that could possibly be on your exam right there, plain as day, and it tells you what the correct answer is so you can study these things and understand how it works And when you go into the test, you shouldn't see anything there that surprises you. And this is all above board. It's not like these are, you know, cheat codes or anything like that. When organizations put forth the effort to put together these tests and these exam requirements, these license that, they don't do it because they don't want anybody to ever pass. They just want to make sure that the people who are going to get the license have at least the minimum amount of knowledge they need to be successful. That's the whole point of this. So they want you to pass. They want to give you the information you need to pass that test, but they want you to retain that information because you're going to need it. Think about the relationships you have with those around you. Think of how you communicate with them or how you don't communicate with them. And that's kind of what we focus on in the second half of Prepper's Communication Handbook. We talk about ways to improve your interpersonal communication skills. Let's face it, you're going to be stuck with people for a long time. You know, and if it's a stressful situation, you want to do anything you can to make things easier rather than make it harder. And one of the best ways you can improve your situation and reduce the stress is to communicate more effectively. I think we've all been in the situation where, you know, we're talking to a family member or a friend or a loved one and we say one thing, but it is interpreted completely different. And they take that, take whatever it is you said or what you wrote They spin it about 90 degrees, and they're very angry and upset with you, and you have no idea why. It, It all comes down to communication. Now, one of the chapters in the book is all about conflict resolution. And as far as I'm concerned, that is one of the the most important skills anybody could ever learn. And we're not just talking about, you know, in a disaster or in a collapse situation, or we're talking about survival groups, we're talking about day-to-day living. Conflict is all around us, and the better equipped we are to handle it and resolve it effectively, the better off everybody is. I like to tell people, conflict isn't bad. It's actually good. 
conflict is the only way things will ever change. If there's no conflict, then the status quo is maintained. If there is conflict, that's when we start talking about things eventually. Right. We might have to you know, work a little bit to get to the point where we're actually going to sit down and have a conversation about it. We have to get past all those icky feelings and emotions. But eventually, you sit down, you talk it out, and you come up with a solution that works. That's all conflict resolution is. The idea behind honing that skill is to get to the solution quicker rather than just getting mired in all the back and forth, he said, she said stuff. Um, One of the other things we talk about with communication skills is body language. This is why so many arguments break out online and via email because there's no body language. There's no tone of voice. There's no gestures. There's nothing but the written word. And we all know, every single person listening to this has been in a situation where you read something somebody wrote and you took it the wrong way because you had nothing else to augment that message and help you interpret it the way the person intended it. You are absolutely right. If you cannot see someone's face, the same sentence said with a smile, said with a frown, uh, said with a smirk, um, said with a rolling of the eyes can be interpreted completely different. And if you can't see that person's face, I think it's a natural tendency for us to assume that it's probably meant negative. And, you know, it's, it's just human nature, like, oh, they didn't mean that nicely. You always kind of think, well, ooh, what did they mean by that? Oh, were they zinging me? Were they saying something bad? Whereas the other person might have been saying it friendly. Right. Like, like a text. A, a classic example of this, and um, for me it's, it happens all the time with certain uh, people that I'm communicating with. I will say something maybe two or three sentences in a text and I'll get okay. And those yep. two those two letters for me or are passive aggressive. Yep. It's, yep. it's like it's like I just sent you a whole conversation and then I said thank you and and yada 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 and you write back okay. Um could you have said something else? <laughs> oh, that kind of drives me a little bit crazy. The, the cool thing about body language that people don't realize is that's where the vast majority of our communication takes place. It, it takes place without language, without verbal language. We watch what people say. We watch how they say it. We listen to certain tones of their voice. And that's how we interpret what they truly mean. For example, if you're a teenager and you come in at night about an hour past curfew and you really quietly walk from the garage into the kitchen and you see mom standing there, and she has her arms crossed, and she's tapping her toe, Mm -hmm. and she's glaring at you. 
Does she need to even speak? <laughs> not you know in the you're least. caught. Not in the least. You are so in trouble. <laughs> right. Now, on the other hand, you come home from work and your spouse meets you in the kitchen and they give you a little smirk and a wink. <laughs> you know you're not in trouble. That's right. <laughs> Times are good. Right. You know that you're fine. You have nothing to worry about. The other part of communication, when we talk about body language, we talk about tone. And this is something that is really missing when it comes to written communication. You know, we talked a little bit about taking things wrong when you read it online. You know, uh, somebody will send you a text or an email or a post on Facebook and you kind of pause and you wonder, you know, how did they mean that? I've said for years, if somebody could invent a universally accepted font for sarcasm, they would be the richest person on the planet. <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, I, I tend to, I, I'm very fluent in sarcasm, and my wife is even more so. You know, people who don't know us and listen in on our conversations at a restaurant or something have got to wonder just how odd we are. <laughs> but you guys get each other. That's the we thing. do. And we do. Talk, right, and when you talk to other people, if they don't get that sense of the way you communicate, they misinterpret it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And. That's part of the communication skill set that, you know, I try to develop in Prepper's Communication Handbook. You know, take the time to pay attention to how you are communicating with people and how other people are communicating with you and work on these skills so that there's less opportunities or less chances for people to misinterpret what you're telling them. You know, in a crisis situation, time is of the essence. If stuff's going on and I tell you to do something, I need it done immediately. Right. I, I, don't, I don't want you asking a whole lot of questions. You know, if you don't understand what I tell you to do, that's fine. I'll explain it. But if I tell you, run to the garage and get me a hammer, well, which hammer? I don't care. Bring me a hammer. <laughs> there's there's a zombie at the door. I need a hammer. You know? <laughs> zombie Daryl is knocking and I need to deal with this. Right. <laughs> these softer skills, these people skills, are often overlooked when we talk about preparedness and survivalism and prepping and, you know, whatever term you want to use, because they're not sexy. They're not guns. They're not cooking. They're not going off and living in the woods. You know, an awful lot of survivalists will tell you they don't care about people's skills because they don't plan to be around people. Mm -hmm. Okay, but then reality is going to come knock on your door. Okay, you can't be a hermit forever. And if you are, I don't know that you're equipped <laughs> to deal with people then, you right. know, it, it's as simple as that. Now, 
I will readily admit that I'm not the human race's biggest fan. <laughs> I'm really not. And I recognize the irony in that I earn a substantial part of my living teaching people how to survive, you know, and how to stick around and bug me. I understand that. But you know what? Sometimes uh, keeping amongst your closest friends and family makes you feel safe and secure and happy. Oh, so yeah, definitely. Think, you know, I think there's a lot of people who feel that way. I get people come up to me all the time and they're like, oh, I don't like people. And I say, well, how many friends do you have? Oh, you know, eight, ten friends. And how many family members do you have? Oh, you know, we've got a decent-sized family. And I'm like, you, you have enough interactions in your life that you are dealing with a group of people. And, boy, family can be the toughest ones to get along with because you're stuck with them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and sometimes that, you know, if your kids are difficult or your your family or close family is difficult, by the time you finish with them at the end of the day, you've had it. You're like, yeah. I can't talk to anybody else. So it's not necessarily the human race that we're, we don't want to deal with. It's just we're drained. We have so many methods of communication. People are calling you. People are texting you. People are emailing you. And yep. you're like, I've talked to 30, 40 people today and probably multiple times. So it's, it's not that we don't want to commu communicate with a, a lot of people. It's just that it, it just becomes overwhelming, I, I think. Oh, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. You know, and part of it, too, at least for me, is, you know, I'm not just an author. Mm -hmm. I, as you know, I'm, my day job, I work as a private investigator. Right. And that being the case, I tend to interact with people on a little different level mm -hmm. than most people do in their profession. You know, I, I like to tell my wife that, you know, my job pri pretty much consists of delivering joy and sunshine to people's lives said with as much sarcasm as will fit into that sentence. Exactly. People are only doing investigations to find out the dirty little secrets. Right. I get it. <laughs> right. And, you know, I, I'm in a line of work where the vast majority of human interaction I have is with people who want nothing whatsoever to do with me. So, yeah. <laughs> Jim, you don't bring the ray of sunshine. <laughs> I know, I know. But, you know, the flip side of it is this. I wish, I truly wish that I lived within a stone's throw of all of these really awesome people I know online. You know, like like you and Aww. Joe and Courtney and Charlie and, you know, I, I, I know all these people that, you know, I see them at the expos once in a while or, you know, I'm on Facebook with them. But I want them to live next door. I agree. <laughs> so we can all just hang out all day long. I, I totally agree. Exactly. And, you know, to kind of circle back, yes, let's part of back. it is <laughs> it's communication. That's right. It's, you know, you're dealing with, a miniature version of yourself who frequently 
will not talk to you. Mm-hmm. Or at least they'll talk, but they're not saying anything. And that's rough. That's really rough. That's a hard thing to deal with, especially when, you know, when they're younger, they'll tell you everything. That's right. You know, they come home and they want to tell you every little bit of their day. And there are days where you're just like, oh, my God, will you just shut up for two minutes, please? I can't even think. (laughs) And then it's not too long after that that you are sitting at the table and they get home and they don't even acknowledge you. Mm Mm-mm. Or they won't sit at the table. They go straight to their rooms. They get on the phone or they get on the computer. Yep. And they don't want anything to do with you. And if you walk in and say, how was your day? You're lucky if you get a grunt or a fine. Yeah. Fine. Fine. Well, what does that mean? What was fine? How was your teachers? What did you learn? Did you make any friends? Is everything okay? Is anyone giving you a hard time? Are you being bullied? You know, blah, blah, blah. And they don't want to talk. Do no. not want to talk to you when they're no. teenagers. Mm-mm. No. And as adults, we have become conditioned over the course of years that, you know, we've been adults that, number one, if you ask somebody how they are and they say, fine, for, I can tell you from experience, as a husband, that's a red flag. Yeah. If you ask your spouse, how are you, and they say, fine. No, they're not. There's a world of hurt coming out of their mouth. Any exactly. <laughs> and whether you like it or not, it's probably going to be directed in your Thank way. You. It's probably your fault. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. You know, Just and prepare. when you you try to talk to somebody and they don't want, I mean, it's obvious they don't want to talk to you. As adults, again, we've become conditioned to feel like okay what did i do wrong exactly. why are they angry with me okay. when right. that might not be the case but that's just over the years experience has taught us more often than not our butts in a sling right. we did something wrong and you start racking your brain trying to think of you know what did you say what didn't you say what did you do what didn't you do and the reality is it might have nothing to do with you you're right. We automatically think, why am I such a bad parent? Right. What right. What, what? What did I do? Yeah. And why aren't they talking to me? I'm not a bad person. Right. Why don't, why don't you love me anymore? <laughs> <laughs> you were so sweet when you were little. <laughs> yeah. I know. What happened? I know. Oh, my gosh. It's terrible. Well, <laughs> let me ask you real quickly. Um it was supposed to be one of my first questions for you. Why did you decide to write this book? You've got so many of them, and they have all different topics. But what got you the urge to say, I really have to write a book on communications? Well, this one was actually my publisher's idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working with Ulysses Press for going on four years now. Mm-hmm. And... As an author, when you're dealing with a, what we call a traditional publisher rather than self-publishing, right. when you're dealing with a traditional publisher, frequently, you know, when you start out with them, there's a protocol that that's expected where you send them a query letter and you introduce yourself and you say, I want to write a book about yada, yada, yada. 
mm-hmm. and then they'll ask to see the proposal, and you put together this giant document that's you know 20 or 30 pages sometimes that details everything that's going to be in the book and who you're going to market it to and, and uh, you, the outline and chapter summaries and all this kind of stuff. And they take a look at it, and then they'll say, well, okay, yeah, let's tweak it. And I mean, this process can take weeks and weeks and weeks before you even get to the point where they say, okay, yes, let's do the book. I've been working with Ulysses Press long enough where the process works like this. My editor will send me an email. Hey, Jim, we want to do a book about preppers' communication stuff. Do you want it? I'll email back. Yes. And then 20 minutes later, a contract appears in my inbox. There That's you go. <laughs> awesome sauce. I you know, <laughs> and with this one, there was a little tweaking involved as, you know, trying to figure out, okay, what do we want to do with the book? What are we trying to accomplish? Who is this book for? What information we want to have in there? You know, that kind of thing. But in general, the, uh, we accomplished what we set out to do. We wanted to have a book that would discuss the different options that are out there for communication tools, talk about how to put together a communication plan for emergencies, and then talk about communication skills that are so important, not just in emergencies, but even in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, this helps everyone. I don't, I don't think anyone thinks that they're the perfect communicator, except maybe um, Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's the only one who thinks, he, you know, because he was in Harvard and he won the debate. National yep. debate thing. So I I believe that man actually thinks that he's got communications totally under control. But the rest of us are all seeking knowledge, and we're always trying to improve ourselves. <laughs> well, and the thing is, communicating is one of those things that we do from birth, and we do it every day throughout our entire living existence. We are sending out information, and we're receiving and interpreting information. Mm-hmm. And yet for all that, we still got a whole lot to learn. Absolutely. You are absolutely right. Now, let's talk a little bit about the first part of the book. And I want to discuss um, the fact that we can't just use cell phone for communication in emergencies. And can you explain why I can't just pick up my phone and say hello? Well, what happens, Amy, is the, the communication towers, the networks that run our cell phones, they get overloaded. They get overwhelmed. There's only so much signal to go around, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. So you might try to place a call, and it just won't go through because there are a bazillion other people all trying to make the call at the same time. This was made very apparent on 9-11 and then later with Katrina and with uh, Superstorm Sandy. Mm -hmm. You know, when these events occur, the communication networks get overloaded. Now, even if a phone call won't go through, quite often a text message will still go through because they use slightly different networks. It's slightly different technology. So if you try to place a call home to let them know, hey, I'm trapped in the city, traffic is horrible, I'm going to be late, and the call won't go through, try shooting a text. Frequently that will still get through. I'm not saying it'll happen every time, though. 
And that's why we want to have these alternative means of communication as well, right. just in case. You know, it's just like any other area of preparedness. We want to have food to eat during an emergency. So, you know, we make sure we've got our regular food, you know, in the cupboards and in the fridge. But if that becomes not an option, we want to have a backup source. So we put together, you know, little kits with freeze-dried food or dehydrated food or whatever, home canned stuff, so we have a backup. Right. That's all we're doing with the communication. Absolutely. And I do find it quite interesting, and I've known this for a long time, about the whole text and even when you can't make a phone call. So folks, don't forget, if you can't make that phone call, you can try to use the text. Now, what do you think about those crank-powered radios? Uh, we have a few of them ourselves. I like them. Uh, like any other piece of technology that you buy, you got to play around with it, make sure it works the way you expect it to work. But by and large, most of them work fairly well. What I suggest is you buy a model that will get not just AM and FM, but you want the weather radio channels, shortwave if you can get it, because this expands your options. Weather radio in particular can be very useful because government agencies will use those frequencies to send out not just weather alerts, but other alerts as well as the need arises. And having the ability to tune those in gives you one more tool in the toolbox to gather information. Absolutely, about what's going on. Um, now let's Let's circle back. You know, we talked about communication and how our teenagers never want to speak to us and how text messaging, you can't tell what somebody is actually saying through, you know, phone. Phone's a little bit easier because you can get an inflection in the voice, but text and emails are really difficult. But if you're actually speaking to someone in person, what are some easy ways to spot a body language that might tell you that, what they're saying is not quite true. Well, one thing to remember about body language is you can't take any individual clue and interpret the message via that one thing. Mm -hmm. Body language, it, to do that, it would be like picking up the latest novel by Stephen King and picking one word mm -hmm. out of that book and then trying to figure out what the plot of the story is. Gotcha it's not going to happen. You need to get more words together. You need to get a few sentences at least. So with body language, remember, the sum is greater than the parts. You need to look at the whole package. Now with that said, some of the things to look for in the event you, know, you suspect dishonesty is lack of eye contact, which could mean dishonesty, could mean shyness. We don't know. Depends on how well you know the person. Um, crossing their arms or crossing their legs or both. You know, anytime you see somebody that they're moving or gesturing in ways that look like they're either trying to close themselves off mm -hmm. or protect themselves, mm -hmm. that's a sign that they're nervous, they're scared, they're upset. And you need to consider okay, what are we talking about in the conversation that could make them feel that uncomfortable? Is it that they're being dishonest, or are we talking about something that it's a topic that most people would find a little icky, you mm -hmm. know? 
Um, again, you need to look at everything. You know, a great example of this, I sat down for a job interview some years ago, and the room where I was in talking to people, it was just, I don't know what was going on that day, but I, it was like an icebox. Uh-huh. I was just freezing. And I'm sitting there, and they're asking me questions, and I've got my arms crossed, I've got my legs crossed, and I am visibly shaking. And I can tell they're thinking I'm terrified of <laughs> this interview. For what I'm just, I'm utterly terrified. I'm so scared. I'm shaking. So finally, at one point, I said, "Look, just so y'all understand something, I'm okay." with the interview, but if you could crank up the heat in here just a little bit, I'll stop shaking because my lips feel like they're turning blue, <laughs> you know, and it, oh. it was a great icebreaker, you know, it got them laughing and it kind of, you know, took a little bit of the stress out of the conversation because, I mean, let's face it, every job interview is a little bit stressful, Oh sure. but, you know, they understood then, oh, He's not just some idiot. He's just cold, you know. And uh, you need to take these things into account. I've seen over and over and over again all these lists online of, you know, is he cheating on you? Look at the body language. You know, and you go down the list and check them off one by one. There is an easy explanation for every single one of those things. That they're not telling you to be aware of. They're just telling you if he does this, then he's cheating on you. Well, okay, yeah, that might be a reason, but there are 85 other reasons that that, that could have happened too. You need to take it all into account and put the book together. That that whole thing is must be really hard for you to have to tell people that kind of situation. I don't know if you do a lot of those investigations, but that must be gut-wrenching. I don't do a well the agency as a whole we don't do a whole lot of domestic stuff anymore. Right. For the, I mean that's one of the reasons is you know after the 87th time you've had to give the bad news to somebody you get a little tired of doing it. Oh. You know and on top of that as a general rule where I work we don't take cases unless there's an attorney involved and then we work for the attorney. We don't work for the individual. Oh, and we good. do that for you know a variety of reasons, n- not the least of which is our own protection. Sure. So we can make sure we're working for the right people. Right, plus um, it's just a professional level. The attorney is in a much better position than the client or us to decide what will or will not help the case. Mm-hmm. You know, you as an individual, you might want to know X, Y, Z, and, I mean, it's just you're very passionate about that. You need to know that. But the reality is none of that will help your case, and all you're going to do is spend good money after bad having us chase that down. Right. Whereas the attorney can say, no, that's not going to help us. What we really need to know is ABC, and that's where we're going to put the effort. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Jim, I am just utterly impressed by the content that you put out, by the knowledge, by the, the skill list that you suggest people get, and, and you're helping people actually accomplish some of those uh, skill lists. 
Um, and I know you've got a couple websites, so I wanted to give you a chance to sort of talk about those websites. Well, survivalweekly.com is where I kind of hang my hat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. There you find all my different product reviews that I do, my blog posts. There's a, a page on there that lists every one of my books with links to all of them so people can find them on Amazon and elsewhere. Um, The other site I have is disasterprepconsultants.com, and that's my consulting business, a little fledgling consulting business, if we're going to be honest. Um, But that's where I offer to come in and I'll speak to groups, help individuals, help businesses get better prepared, things like that. You know, I don't have a set list of this is what I do. It's more of a you come to me and tell me what you're trying to accomplish, and let's see what we can work out. Let's see if I'm able to help you. Sounds great. Well, I think Joe and I need one of those too. <laughs> <laughs> I need an, an additional website to worry about. I don't know how you deal with all of this with a, a full-time job, but you actually have to leave your house to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's one thing if you had a home business and you did this, but that's a lot, Jim. I give you a lot of credit and and Joe and I have a lot of respect for you and the things that you put out and uh we appreciate all that you're doing to help the preparedness community um be a, a little bit better if something happens. So Well, thank you. Uh, it, it's always nice to be acknowledged. <laughs> um I, I, I do everything I can for people. I really do. You know, I know. I, it's something I'm passionate about, you know, and like they say, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Well, Jim, it has been fantastic to talk to you again, and you know you're welcome back anytime. Something project pops up, something you think you need to come in here and, and educate our listeners on, we always welcome you. The door is open, and we love to talk to you. Thank you so much, Jim. Well, thank you for having me, and we will talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Take care. There you have it. Tons of information from our good friend Jim Cobb. For Nurse Amy, this is Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones, thanking you for listening and hoping you'll tune in next week.